Welcome to Elevated, where technology and leadership come together to advance the art and science of the project professional. Through tailored professional learning, we provide executive and professional education experiences to shape curious, future-ready leaders through customized programs. In this podcast, we will be discussing industry trends, product innovation, agility, and technologies that have the potential to shape markets. The topics we cover will be closely aligned with the custom courses offered at the CTME, Caltech Center for Technology and Management Education. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Elevated. I am Nate Cruz, your moderator, and it gives me great pleasure to host this monthly live stream event. Elevated is a Caltech CTME live stream service that is designed for technology leaders who are passionate about staying informed on industry trends, embracing new ways of work, product innovation, and agility. Our monthly topics are aligned with our custom course materials. Let's take a moment to review Caltech CTME program. Caltech CTME value proposition is tailored learning experience for technologists. We customize unique learning experience for your organization and your people, working one-on-one with leadership to design and deliver programs and certificate programs for your teams and individuals. Here we have is a listing of some of the courses that we have available for you as custom programs and workshops that we can have for technology and business. Our next slide here shows you one of our custom programs here talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning that we have here scheduled to come up on April 6th and May 4th, which is a live hands-on learning experience. For today's session, we will have a captivating and practical talk on the topic of industrial DevOps for cyber physical solutions. It will be delivered by an incredible speaker, Dr. Suzette Johnson. Dr. Johnson works at Northrop Grumman Corporation near Baltimore, and she is a Northrop Grumman fellow working for space systems supporting program success and achieving business outcomes through the adoption and implementation of lean agile principles and practices. She is a certified agile enterprise coach. She has an interest and passion for driving the adoption of lean agile principles across large organizations. Over the past 20 years, she has been leading the adoption of lean agile practices across organization and supporting over 100 internal and government programs. Dr. Johnson received her doctorate in management and technology from the University of Maryland, with her dissertation being the impact of leadership styles on software project outcomes in traditional and agile engineering environments. Finally, she is the leader of a group of agilists called ADAPT under NDIA, which I am proud to be a new member of. Without further delay, I present to the virtual stage, Dr. Suzette Johnson. Over to you, Dr. Johnson. Hi, thank you so much um, for this opportunity. I'm happy to be here. And uh, I thank you for that great introduction. So today we'll be talking on the topic of industrial DevOps for cyber physical solutions. So I just wanna highlight industrial DevOps has actually been an effort um, with a group of industry leaders where we are defining um, this new way of working called industrial DevOps, which takes the great learning and experiences from the agile community and we start to apply it to our cyber physical systems. As we've worked with this community, we've written several papers, which I will share with you at the end on how to access those if they are of interest to you. And in addition, Robin and I 
Rabbi Neiman and I have been working together uh, a long time on this topic, and we recently published a book called Industrial DevOps, pulling together all the practices and experiences that we've um, gained from the knowledge of the community. And we just put it together and, and we're now sharing it back to the community as an integrated product. So we're excited about that. And I just wanted to kind of give you the little bit of background of where this came from. And I'll talk a little bit more and define what industrial DevOps is just a moment. But let's start, I always like to start with why. Why do we care about these things? And as we continue to you know, evolve and building these complex systems, we recognize the ongoing and importance of innovation and collaboration in a world where digital capabilities are just growing rapidly. So we want to be able to harness the, the new technologies, um, being able to inspect and adapt to the changing needs of our customer in a way that invites this collaboration and the innovation and contributions of the individual um, contributors who work together as teams to develop those capabilities. So two specific topics. First, I will introduce you through to the success patterns through a set of principles. And we'll also talk about the challenges that we face with implementing these success patterns. So let's start with some basic definition. You might have heard of, of Agile and, and DevOps, and we understand DevOps for software and delivery pipelines. Um, however, we recognized as we were working with industry and through our collaborations that it's more than just software when we're building cyber physical systems. If we build all our efficiencies only in software, we're neglecting the rest of the value stream and all those components need to come together to deliver value. So industrial DevOps is the application of continuous delivery that takes into account development, manufacturing, hardware, all of it coming together that enables us to be responsive to change. And with the goal, right, the goal is to reduce our lead times and deliver capabilities in the shortest sustainable lead time as possible. So Industrial DevOps is actually based on a lot of things. It's based on the Agile and, and DevOps learning from the software community, some of the lean manufacturing principles and practices, the lean startup systems thinking, all of those things. And so, and I highlight that because as I talk through some of these principles, you're probably going to think, well, I do that already. And, and you probably do. There's a lot of these pieces that I'm sure you're already implementing in some capacity. And it's the integration and, and pulling together of all of these success patterns that come together to make um, a greater impact. So if cyber physical systems is still a new concept for you, and maybe that's not a term you've heard of. Um, here's two examples. There's also like satellites and, and submarines and, and vehicles. And we're not implying that these two products, you know, fully implemented all these practices. Um, we're just using them as an example of what a cyber physical system is, which means we also have to take into account a lot of times these cyber physical systems have special security or certification requirements that also have to be embedded into the development efforts. So working with industry, we actually defined nine principles. And we're gonna, I'm gonna go through each of these nine principles and talk a little bit about what they are, provide a definition in case it's um, not familiar to you and talk through some examples of what it might look like. So first, I thought it would be really helpful to get a little um, background about you and what is your experience. Um, so if you could put into the um, chat, um, we can actually do a real poll, we, but through chat, um, what is your experience here? Is it like none, zero to three years, five to 10 years, or greater than 10 years? So if you're on the call and you're able to do that, that insight would be really helpful. So as we do that, we'll move on talking about common 
problems that we face. Thank you I'm, as I'm seeing your responses. Um, so some of the com common problems that we have experienced, right, is lack of uh, alignment, getting, ensuring that we have the right stakeholders engaged at the right time, the integration alignment of, of development with tests, with hardware. Um, maybe, you know, part of the challenges we face is a lack of transparency. So there's a lot of work going on, but how can we make the work visible? Um, how can we use real data, real-time data, or near real-time data to improve our decision-making. Historically, right, we've had such long lead times that nothing's done till everything's done. But what if we shifted that? What if we started thinking about um, doing earlier demonstrations or where we could get input more frequently and we could find out what's working well and maybe where there's assumptions that we built in we start testing them earlier and we find out some some are right and maybe some not so accurate and we need to make those improvements maybe in some cases we're still using you know bureaucratic outdated practices you know from the 20th century and there's an opportunity to rethink how we are organizing our teams how we are utilizing digital tools and a digital infrastructure to develop and integrate and automate more frequently. So you might be facing all of these different challenges and what we're going to share is some of these principles address these different challenges and what you might be able to do to make improvements. So that leads us to the benefits, right? We always want to start with why. So why would I care about change? The thing is, is that we're always working towards some sort of business outcome. Um, however, some of those business outcomes are long lead items, right? And what we want to do is figure out, since they're lagging indicators, maybe we can look at some leading indicators that help become more predictive about are we on target to achieve the success or the schedules that we think that we have laid out. Of course, we want to improve quality, especially with cyber physical systems. We want to make sure we're building in the right standards, building in the right controls and the right compliance and security security features along the way. And just like we learned, you know, back in the latter part of the 1900s, right, we, it's really important that we're building quality in and not bolting it on. So we're going to stay true to some of those sound foundational practices and then add a flavor of agility around that in this new domain space. I often get asked um, about what is the difference between agile and waterfall. Um, so people are maybe familiar with things like different agile frameworks, right? Like Scrum is a popular one. Those are frameworks. Agile itself, it's really an empirical process. And what that means is, is we are going to learn as we go. It doesn't mean we don't plan, but we are going to iterate. We're going to learn. We're going to inspect and adapt along the way. Waterfall, which you probably many of you are experienced with, right, says, oh, I can lay out a plan. And once I lay out the plan, I can just execute to that plan. It's very predictive and we're just going to stay on track. Um, the challenge with that, right, maybe that, maybe that worked at one time. However, there's a shift going on and, and part of that shift is being caused because of all the digital transformation efforts going on, right? The cost of change is lowering. We saw that cost of change being lowered in software, you know, in the 1990s, which made agile and software very popular. But now we're also seeing it in the cyber physical realm with all these new digital capabilities and the emerging simulation environments. We've, some places we've already had those, but now they're really maturing and moving even into digital twins so that we can actually test more frequently. And again, it's testing and getting feedback and being able to take advantage of new technologies along the way. So that's just a little quick foundation. It looks, I assume most of you probably know those differences, but I just wanted to highlight in case we have someone um, that might be new to this area. All right, so we have a free 
free-form chat going on here, but what, my, what word comes to your mind when you hear the word DevOps? Just kind of curious, what do you think of? Maybe some thoughts that might be coming to your mind as well. When I think of DevOps, I think software. Maybe I think of continuous, continuous integration, automated testing might be some of the ideas that are coming to your mind. And DevOps is really about flow, right? We want to ensure that we have a flow of work coming through our, our value stream. So let's talk a little bit about how we're organized to do work because how we're organized to do work can either help enable, enable that flow or might prevent or create bottlenecks in that flow. And that was one of the early lessons um, that we came across is that if we're not organized in the right way, we are not going to get the, re the results, right? I can have all the agile teams I want, but if my agile teams aren't aligned around a value stream, if my agile teams aren't aligned so that they are actually working towards a common goal or towards a, an MVP that they can demonstrate, we're not really going to get the benefits that we would expect to get. So we want to understand our value stream first. And that value stream goes from what is the need through delivery. So if I have a satellite, I'm building a maybe a CubeSat, I might, within my value stream, I'm I will have parts that are building infrastructure. I might have attitude control systems, propulsion systems, monitoring systems, and all these components that need to come together to actually deliver that value to the customer. If I have a vehicle, uh, my vehicle might in include areas such as cameras and sensors and steering and, and braking and all the other things that need to come together to actually deliver that vehicle. But what I want to do is bring together the parts of that system that actually need to integrate frequently to actually test out the solution. So if I have a vehicle, I might be getting, and I want to work on improving safety of that vehicle, I might get the camera people, the people building the sensors and the steering and the braking. And we might pull those people together to build out that part of the system. So what does that mean? That means I have the software folks, I have hardware folks, I have systems engineering, I have the testing functions all working together in a way that will allow them to integrate early and often. And typically what we have, how we've organized our teams, you know, initially is that I have all my software folks together, all my hardware, all my systems, you know, integration and test folks. And we just have really nice, well-defined handoffs. And there's really nice defined handoffs. Every time we have handoffs, we learn from Lean, create risk. Also, it created the need for a lot of documentation. And that was some of the challenges that we faced back in the 1990s is that, oh, we had mounds of documentation that just got handed off from one functional area to another. And while it's all defined, we can just build to it. But that's not actually going to work as well in the 21st century where things are changing and where things are more complex. And we need that learning to happen at the team level. And we need them to test out those assumptions and then have a mechanism for pro providing that feedback. And as we talk through some of this, you'll see how some of these principles are actually related and it's hard to have one without some of the others. The next one is multiple horizons of planning. And this one is very much something that we emphasize because with cyber physical systems, you, knew, you need a plan. Right. And sometimes, you know, there's this misconceptions in Agile that we don't plan. Actually, we do plan and we, we need that roadmap. Why do we need that roadmap? Well, because if I'm building a cyber physical system, I probably have suppliers and suppliers are going to need to know when they need to integrate or could integrate with us or when they need to provide their parts to us. We also need to know how are we, when's the earliest opportunity to integrate hardware and software, maybe in the virtual sense, 
maybe in a physical sense, to test out some of those capabilities. The difference is, is the level of fidelity of planning, the further out we go. Um, the further out we go, it's, of course, not as detailed as the near-term solutions and um capabilities that we're implementing. So we want to be able to have that flexibility because again, we will have new technologies that come up or new opportunities that we want to take advantage of. It's sort of like, I don't know, say you you live in Florida and you want to drive to Montana. You could lay out that plan and you could plan out every day where you think you're going to be and at what time. However, as you're going along that journey, even though it's well-defined, you're going to find some opportunities. You might find, might come across detours, like they're kind of serving as bottlenecks, or you might find maybe there's a new freeway opening up or things like that that you didn't know about. Um, Of course, we have lovely GPS that will help us um, maneuver through that as we go along that journey. And of course, that's how we are using real-time data to improve our um, day-to-day decision-making. But those are some things that we also need to do with our our planning. So we do plan in Agile. It's a level of fidelity. We still need a roadmap. We still need to understand when our suppliers need to engage. So, and then let's think about what this also means in terms of cyber-physical systems. So with my CubeSat mission, maybe I have the uh, mission of gathering weather imagery information. And with that, I've got some new imagery capabilities. I've got some new sensors with my CubeSat. I want to do some enhanced control systems and monitoring. And what I want to do is get those teams together, the, the software and the hardware, figuring out how we're going to demonstrate those capabilities. When are they going to be able to integrate? And maybe they're first integrating in some sort of systems engineering or um, systems integration lab, do that demonstration. And then maybe they're moving slowly into a physical realm. So even if my hardware teams can't be fully agile, Um, Maybe that's where you are, right? Maybe you're like, okay, my software team's agile, they get it. Hardware team's not yet. But as we go through these multiple horizons of of planning, maybe the opportunity is saying, okay, every quarter, let's, let's get them together and at least on the quarterly boundaries, find out what those opportunities are to integrate and to test out capabilities and start working off some of the program risk. So principle three is about making data-driven decisions. And just like I said, some of these principles start feeding into each other. So we're gonna make data-driven decisions in a couple ways. First of all, as those teams are getting together, as we're testing out the vehicle safety control system, they have a set of capabilities that they're working on, a set of features. And they're gonna test out those features against some acceptance criteria. As they test out and they, they can demonstrate how well the safety um, system's working, we'll get feedback on what do we need to change? Is it working as expected? Do we need to make enhancements? Do we need to make the adjustments? Maybe the camera is not as sensitive as we thought it could be. Or maybe there's too much of a delay between recognizing there's a a risk in vehicle safety to the actual braking of the vehicle. So we can continue to test, maybe first in a virtual environment, maybe we actually have some hardware that we can demonstrate and actually see how it's working. Um, There's also the emergence of the digital twin. So depending on where you are in the product lifecycle, you might actually have a digital twin where you can test out new capabilities. You can also get some predictive analytics from the solutions that are already out in the field and figure out where your next steps are or what improvements that you need to make before something happens. But all of this said, what we want to think about and remember is what are the business outcomes that we are trying to achieve? So all of this is centered around understanding what our objectives are, what are those objectives, what is it that we want to demonstrate? How do we demonstrate and how do we use the data? 
to help us drive towards those business outcomes. So number four, we want to architect for speed and change. Another really important aspect of this, and maybe you're already familiar with modular architectures. Um, I learned those lessons early on, learned them the hard way because we had very tightly coupled systems, you know, decades ago, and it was really hard to make change. Every time we would change one part, it required us to go to other parts of the system to up make those updates and changes as well. So it was causing um, bottlenecks, definitely a constraint inhibiting us from being as agile or responsive as we would like to be. So it's really important to think about that um, as you're going, as you're building out the architecture. The other thing we also learned is that, you know, with our agile principles from the software community, it talks about how the architecture emerges. And that is absolutely true. The architecture will continue to emerge and evolve. However, there's also the concept of an intentional architecture so that we understand the architecture that we're building towards, we understand and have well-defined interfaces. Um, so one example that we looked at in industry was from Joby Aviation. They're an American aerospace company and they are developing an electronic vehicle takeoff and landing aircraft for urban air mobility. They have plans to, to launch an air taxi service, uh, you know, sometime in the, the near future. And we're real excited about their initiative. Um, but one of the things that we learned from them, right, is their use of a modular architecture with the standard interfaces, a delivery pipeline that enables them to rapidly iterate on the changes to the vehicle as they go along. And of course, vehicles like that, just like with all of our cyber physical systems, is building in the security and safety features that we need along the way. So this is really um, important. Again, we've learned so much as we continue to talk with some of these other companies. So principle five is iterate, reduce batch size and improve flow. Um, again, we have two scenarios here. So as we're going to iterate, right, we want to reduce batch size because most of us probably know small batches go through a system faster than large batches and having these small batches will improve the flow and delivery. Um, but we also in cyber physical systems have two kind of scenarios going on. In some cases, in Epic one here that we're showing, there might be this need of software updates, you know, to the existing fleet vehicles. And then we have a new camera opportunity that's hardware that we want to explore for our new releases. So in both cases, we're still going to iterate. Um, one will be more software centric because we're just going to release out to the field. The new camera we're going to also iterate and test and test the software, but it will be might be a little bit longer before we release. We won't be able to release every iteration, but it's all about the iterations and getting that rapid feedback to confirm that we are on the right track. Um, so as we iterate and we do regular integration, right, we want to do these things on a regular cadence and we want to make sure we're synchronized. So we can do things on cadence, but it's not just that we're um, doing things on regular intervals, but also what is that synchronization opportunity where we can actually assure that we have alignment and that we are focused on the common goals and direction that we need to. So cadence and synchronization actually need to work together in order to get the feedback loops that we want. Again, this is interesting because, you know, software, historically, we've had a, a regular two-week cadence. Um, we're fine as we move more into hardware. Maybe that synchronization isn't every two weeks. 
Maybe it's more like every four weeks, or maybe in, in some cases, um, they don't have the tooling or the right infrastructure, or they're still early, way early in their product development lifecycle, and they're only going to synchronize every quarter. Whatever that is, we want to make sure it is the opportunity and the discussions that are happening and bringing those teams together so that they can build those integrated capabilities. And that leads us right into integrate early and often. That's what cadence and synchronization will provide us that opportunity to do. A lot of times we definitely want modularity. We want well-defined interfaces, absolutely. But that doesn't mean just because we have that, that we don't need to integrate early and often. Because a lot of times we're working off of assumptions and it's these integration points that have shown us you know, over and over again is one of the greatest risks. So we want to find that opportunity, again, how early and what is the frequency of integration um, software right? Continuous integration. Get it. How are we going to do that at the system level? And I highlight this because what we have seen is we are really good at agile software teams. What we need to be really good at is how are you demonstrating integrated system capability? And how we're um, doing that, how we're testing it, again, we might be using a real vehicle or a real um, hardware product, or we might be doing it in a systems integration lab, or we might do it in some other virtual space like digital twins, um, whatever capabilities you have. And, and that's the importance of and kind of foundation as to why we're actually able to even move this direction is the emergence of these digital capabilities. All right, this leads us to principle eight, which is shift left, right? And what that means is we want to move everything kind of to the left. So think about in the like 1990s or maybe even earlier when they were building vehicles and Toyota was building quality in all along the way. Some of the other car manufacturings had these inspectors that would inspect at the end and they would look for quality or defects um, and then they would feed it back in the system. And they found out, right, it was cheaper for Toyota to build it right the first time. That meant building quality in, then bolting it on at the end like some of the other car manufacturers. So they ended up shifting left, right? Build quality into the system because it's actually cheaper. So now we're starting to see some of that even with areas such as um, like manufacturing and design for manufacturability and shifting left, thinking about that during the development phase, making sure we're getting feedback all the way through manufacturing so that, that we can reduce um, the amount of design rework that might have, I mean, just think about how costly that is in, once you're in the manufacturing phase. So we're able to shift left because again, we have some of the digital capabilities, techniques, and also we've aligned our teams in such a way we can actually get feedback. So that takes, you know, agile and that mindset of DevOps from development to ops. Right now we have this component of manufacturing that's new and different than when we were just doing software systems. And the last principle to emphasize is applying a growth mindset, right? So what does that mean? That means that we recognize we continuously learn um, and that we learn from those failures. And there are, you know, when we talk about MVP, so a minimal viable product, right, getting enough done that we can get feedback and test and ensure that we're going the right direction. That I would tell people that MVP is a success, whether it works or doesn't, because what it's going to do is give you the data you need to make the next decision. And it's an MVP. It's not the actual launch itself, because there are some things, right, some launches that have to go right the first time when they launch. However, that's the importance. The more you can iterate and the more you can test and get feedback, you're burning down risk all along the way to make make sure you get it right at the launch when it needs to happen. But applying a growth mindset means to be open to those opportunities for that feedback. And 
that's why like when things have happened, you know, with the SpaceX, right? And things exploded and they're like, no, no, it was a success because we got the data we need. And that's what we want to remember. How can we test when it's safe and get the feedback to make a better launch at the end? That also comes into play, right? Fail fast, fail early, but improve right? And, and redirect as needed. And that not only applies to individuals, but also to our organization. Are we applying a growth mindset to, towards continuous improvement? So some challenges that you might face is that the existing organization, maybe they're, they don't have a common language. Maybe they have a, a more traditional organizational structure and we need to rethink how we are aligned around teams. Lack of a common language. And it's interesting because as you work with people, a lot of times we're saying, the same things, but sometimes we're using just slightly different words. So there's sometimes a words that a stone that we create, or how do we actually align their terminology? So if I'm working in my cameo model and I'm talking about use cases and scenarios, and I have my agile teams and they're talking, you know, their features and their backlog, how do we bring that together so we actually understand we're talking about the same thing? Not only are we talking about the same thing, but we should have traceability between those items. Um, sometimes we don't understand our value streams. We look at it still. I've got some software, I've got hardware, you know, I've got integration and tests. And to some extent, if organizations still want to set up their organizational structure that way, um, because they do have unique skills and they want to continue to ensure some standardization, maybe in our software practices or ensuring that they are getting the development that they need to keep up their skills and, and we're structured that way for those reasons. That's different than how we align them to actually go execute and develop a program or, or a system. So let's think about what is the value stream for developing that system and then how do we take our teams and actually create these cross-functional teams to build an integrated system. One of the biggest challenges is how to break down the work and how to actually get demonstrated capability. We want to ensure sometimes that the challenge is exclusivity, meaning are we actually being inclusive? Um, and inclusive also means are we pulling in the right people at the right time to have these conversations about how we might lay out the work? Or, you know, once upon a time, it used to be the managers, they go and they lay out all the work and then they just give it to the teams to execute. But what if we actually engaged those teams and in providing input into what that roadmap should look like or how we might execute? One of the biggest challenges, which hopefully we're overcoming as an industry, but it's always something to be sensitive to, is um, psychological safety. So historically, lack of psychological safety has caused some real challenges in organizations um, of whether or not people are comfortable in raising issues or concerns. So we need to make sure we have a psychologically safe environment. So let me give you an example. When we build large cyber physical systems. It's not uncommon to have an integrated master schedule. It's not uncommon to have to do earned value. And we can, we can do those things for sure. But what happens is because we're going to be integrating earlier, we're going to find challenges earlier. And that might in the short term have a negative impact or negative showing in our IMS or EVMS, right? And how we're recording progress. But it's so much better, right, to have that in the short term where we can address and make improvements early because the longer we wait, the more costly it gets. The longer we wait, the more schedule risk um, that we're gonna have at the end. However, to do that in the short term means we need to have a psychologically safe environment 
where people are comfortable raising those issues early. And that is in the program manager's best interest. If you truly want to have better long-term results, and that's because we're going to integrate early and often get feedback in the short term to make those improvements when they are less costly. But we need to create that environment where people can speak up and, and provide that input and feedback. For those on the call, what do you think is one of the greatest barriers to adoption in, of modern ways of working? So I listed five here. Do you think it's communication? Do you think it's knowledge and skills? Is it investment? Is it the culture, mindset, lack of leadership? What, do you, what are your thoughts? One that I hear, I hear um, a couple, well, these are all five that are common. I hear a lot about culture. Culture is made up a set of behaviors and beliefs, and, and that's based maybe on our past experiences. So as we change behavior and we start seeing different results, um, the culture slowly changes. However, leadership has a direct impact on that. Um, leadership has to model the way. They have to continuously talk about the importance um, of modern ways of working um, to not give up. And it's I know it's hard because when we've done something a certain way for years and years and years, it's, it's hard to adopt new ways of working and understanding quite how to do it. And maybe we don't feel quite as confident in our, our way of managing in this new way. So it takes time and it takes that leadership backing. So I, I feel like out of all of those, you know, getting leadership on board and having them lead the way um, through their behaviors and through their communication. And they also can help support the investment. So on that note, one of the things we found successful is to create an intentional cultural roadmap of how are we going to actually change the organization. And sometimes we change the organization because we have to change the system of the organization. This is how the system or how the organization operates. Um, so you, one of the things to do is start thinking about where are we today and create that roadmap and working with leadership to um, help define the path forward. And sometimes it's lunch and learn. Sometimes it's webinars. It might be what they're investing in in terms of, of training or, or tooling that you know needs to happen, whatever that might be. Those roadmaps, there's not a one size fits all, um, but it does have to be intentional and the organization has to be involved in defining that roadmap. So um, we believe as, a, as an industry group um, that leveraging the power of industrial DevOps is an industry step change. Um, and it's hard, especially with the larger systems and trying to figure out um, how it all comes together. Um, and companies that solution this problem first will increase transparency, reduce lead time, right? Because we want to deliver faster and increase value, right? For our customers with the opportunity, of course, to innovate faster and take advantage of the new digital capabilities and ecosystems that are now available to us. So I did say I was going to share a couple of things at the end. So here are the papers. They are free through IT Revolution. If you are familiar with Gene Kim um, or the Phoenix Project, he is actually um, the one who has worked with us to um, release these papers and get them published. And we're very appreciative of, of Gene Kim and, and all the, and the community that surrounds him. Um, this last paper might be a specific interest to you if you were from the hardware community. This was a letter to the hardware community that talks about, like, we understand that there's the constraint of physicality and how do you actually do this, right, with all the um, hardware makes it a little bit more challenging. So we went through in that last paper and actually focused on the hardware constraints and challenges that were faced. And we did publish the book, um, pulling all of these, everything that I talked about, 
there is a QR code here where you get the first few chapters, maybe one, two, maybe three chapters for free. So you are able to use that and you know you can decide if it provides the value that you might be looking for. So we recognize you're probably already doing some of these things and maybe it's just fine tuning and um, hope that you are able to take advantage of these lessons. Every chapter also includes some getting started and some questions to think about. Our goal is just to help our community. And again, as I said at the beginning, to give back to the community because everything that we've learned and put into to the, that publication is the learning from our extended community of which we are very appreciative of. All right, so that takes us to some Q&A if we have a couple of questions. First of all, thank you, Dr. Johnson, for an amazing presentation. Uh, you, you've given us such great input in the area of developing cyber physical solutions, giving some also some great thoughts and tips in the area of agility, which we both share the same mindset on. And I knew when I asked you to come on board here, you'd be amazing presentation and you've exceeded my expectations. And also, I am a fan. <laughs> Thank you so much. So to get started here, uh, those of you that are on the line here, please type any questions that you have. Uh, Dr. Johnson, if you don't mind, I have a few questions I'd like to ask just to get us started, if you don't mind. What are the challenges encountered when adopting these success patterns here you talk about for these cyber physical solutions? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I know I listed a few, but I will say, like, it's hard. Um, I'll just start there. Um, it's hard because it takes a different mindset from the organization. We're used to doing things you know, a certain way, but with these large systems, there's so many different components and really trying to break down the work, really understanding the value stream and, and working through that is probably one of the greatest challenges because you have to think about, you know, well, what are the components that actually have to work together and how can I minimize the handoffs, right? So that's where we took some lessons from the lean community, right? We looked at the waste, um, that you, I think it's like the seven wastes right on the manufacturing floor. And one is like the, the handoffs, right? And the time that it takes to do that. Um, it's the same thing, even though we're in a little bit different context, but you want to reduce handoffs and get the people together that actually need to integrate. And it's also a, a challenge with people that manage these systems um, because they they have historically, you know, created these really nice, wonderful project schedules. And we still need those. However, we're getting it to the right fidelity where they can actually feel like they've got enough of a plan to help with execution, but, you know, not so detailed that it actually causes a lot of rework as the teams go through and work through their plan at the quarterly or iteration boundaries. So trying to get that balance right is really difficult. And I think one of the other challenges, especially with the emergence of digital transformations, is knowing where to make your investments. What are the digital tools and capabilities that you need that will actually speed up your value stream and the delivery across your value stream? So that needs to also be intentional. Do the people have the tools the right tools and the resources they need. And let's make sure that those are prioritized as part of digital transformation. Okay, thank you. That was an amazing answer. Uh, I have one more, uh, I have a couple more questions here actually, but uh, again, I invite those of you on the line to type into the chat any questions that you wanna have asked and we'll certainly bring those into the discussion. Uh, Dr. Johnson, what are some misconceptions that hinder people or organizations from an adoption of these amazing practices that you've discussed here today? 
Yeah, so our book actually, we actually wrote a whole chapter on misconceptions. I feel like so often that is actually what I deal with, right? is the misconceptions that go on. Um, so some misconceptions first is like Agile is only for software. That's a misconception. That's because actually hardware is becoming software through these incredible digital capabilities that are being developed. Um, there's a misconception in Agile, we don't plan. And, and it's a challenge even from the Agile side, right? Because the Agile side is like, why do we have master schedules. I'm like, well, with, you know, cyber physical systems and you have long lead items and you have suppliers you need to work with, there's specific things that, you know, need to go into some sort of scheduling tool. And, you know, you can use whatever tool that is that meets your needs, but there is a schedule and, and suppliers, you need to know when suppliers are actually coming to deliver parts or integration. Um, so that's a, another kind of misconception that comes from the agile side. And, and I think in some cases, there's the idea where people will just learn this as they go along, which if you if you have a, a well-established team and a new member that doesn't have this experience joins that team, they will get absorbed into that culture and they will learn those practices, absolutely. But when everybody's new, it's really good to take some time to think about what are going to be your ways of working and make sure people understand that. And there's different ways you can disseminate that understanding. Um, sometimes it's through, you know, formal training. Some, you know, there's other ways, you know, that you can do that, but then also create reinforcement because they're not just going to just figure it out. Um, again, unless they're already being absorbed into a fully established functioning team. Thank you again for that uh, great answer here along the way. So I have room for one more question for myself. We also can handle one question from the audience. If you type it into text chat, we'll certainly bring that up. Dr. Johnson, my final question is, what you're talking about is a lot of great concepts, but I look at it as a metaphor of, of jumping on a very, very fast merry-go-round or jumping on a rocket that's already taken off. I mean, how, how do people and organizations get started with some of these principles? Um, and that's that is kind of be, can be a challenge depending where you are in the product life cycle. So one of the things there's a couple things to do to get started. One, understand your value stream. A lot, you know, manufacturing, again, that's another practice we got from manufacturing. Manufacturing is really great at laying out their do value stream mapping and looking where handoffs are. But when you go outside of manufacturing and looking all the way from requirements to delivery, how well do we really understand what that value stream is and how to decompose the system? Also start with where you are because a lot of these practices, I, I don't think are really, you're probably already doing some of these, right? So you want to harness the goodness that you already have and then build on those things, right? Build on some of the successes that you already have, um, build on where your strengths, you know, have already been laid. And then think about, again, that roadmap where I talked about, like, just in creating an intentional culture. Well, it's the same way when you're getting started. What are the, you know, what are the things we need to do in the next quarter or the next six months? Maybe we need a better infrastructure in terms of a digital engineering environment. Or maybe we have some of these amazing digital tools, but, you know, we don't have a standard. Um, or maybe people haven't been trained on the standard, right? So you kind of start with where you, where you are, kind of where you want to be in the next six months and identify those gaps. And then that'll help you prioritize. And that's going to be different for every organization. It's a little bit easier, I think, when you are starting a new effort or a new product, that's kind of a sweet spot because you can, you know, build it all right in from the beginning or build in as much as you need right from the beginning. It's a little harder once that train has already started and you, you know, are looking to make improvements. 
Well, again, Dr. Johnson, this has been an amazing, and I can't say that enough, an amazing presentation. So thank you very much. We actually got the voice of the customer is always a great way of getting a feedback on how well we got. And I, I see back here that Alberto says a great presentation. So thank you so much for honoring us by giving this presentation. To the Elevated community, thank you for being part of the session here today. We really appreciate uh, what you've done here today. We will want to remind you of the fact that we do this monthly every third Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Just as a precursor, next month we will have Dr. John Welch talking about cloud computing, not only talking about the basic principles, but also some of the new concepts coming up with uh, super clouds here. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be passing out that information. And again, Dr. Johnson, thank you for the amazing presentation. I look forward to working with you in the future as we continue to evolve these topics here. Thank you very much. And thank you to our elevated community. Take care.